Hello and welcome to School Safety Today, a podcast brought to you by Raptor Technologies. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney, and today we are talking about building continuity and safety awareness between schools, law enforcement, and the community. And I am thrilled to bring on today's special guest, Chief Jeff Yarbrough. He is the Chief of Police for Hutto, Texas, and he is also former Round Rock ISD Police Chief. Chief Yarbrough, thank you so much for joining me today. Good morning, Michelle. Thank you for having me. We are honored to have you with us. And before we go into a discussion of the topic at hand, let's talk a little bit about your background. You have spent 27 years on the force, many accolades, which we will talk about a little bit later. But give us a little brief background of how we got here to this conversation today with the work that you've done in your past and right now. Yes, and I would be glad to do that. You know, it, it's been 27 years, but it, it feels like yesterday was when I started. Um, I came from a small town in, in Texas here in, in Texas called Nacogdoches. And Nacogdoches is the oldest town in Texas. And people who know it um, truly know where Nacogdoches is. They call it Nacogdoches, Nacogdoches, Rats and Roaches. I've heard it all. But that <laughs> is where you will find my roots. And um, I grew up there, went to high school, graduated. Um, my dad was a police officer in the community then, and he still is a police officer. I'm very fortunate to have my dad and my brother also in police, policing, law enforcement. And interestingly, my family heritage, um, when it comes to our profession, our calling, we call it a calling. It's more of a calling than a profession. But we, we believe we were called into policing. And each and every one of us, we've served as municipal, municipal police officers. We've also served at the county level, but we've all served in school policing. And I'll tell you, this is something that a lot of people don't know. The, the true reason why we all went into school policing was, I remember when I was on, I was on patrol back in 1996 and got a call and it was from a family member asking had I talked with my dad and I said I hadn't talked with him and they said well we want to let I want to let you know that your sister my sister was 16 years old in high school committed suicide and my dad was a, a police officer then and, and now my brother was a police officer I was a police officer we were in the ministry and we were called to help people when they were going through their worst times. We were called to counsel and help people spiritually. And we all wondered, how did we miss that? How did we miss that when we had our sister who was right there in the house with us, uh, who grew up beside us? How did we miss that? But we did. And we all made a commitment and a pact to each other that we were going to do everything we possibly could by being placed in our, our respective positions in law enforcement to make sure that we could do everything we possibly could to ensure that no one else that we could, wherever we can control it, no one else felt the pain or experienced what we experienced. My dad was the first to go into school policing. I went in um, after he did. I was, in fact, I was the, he, he, my dad went into school policing in Nacogdoches and he was one of the first officers hired when they started their school district police department. I started the Bastrop ISD Police Department uh, in Central Texas and then moved from there and actually started a second school district police department in Round Rock. And my brother uh, served as a school district police department in a smaller community um, outside of Waco. So we've all had a lot of experiences and a lot of roads that led us to this. And coming into school policing, I learned so much about what was done what wasn't being done 
and what could be done. And and my years of experience in working in the county, the municipal um, law enforcement agencies, but also at the state level where I traveled the state and worked capital murder cases. I've worked over 100 capital murder cases around the state of Texas and getting a chance to see young kids who were involved in some of the worst uh, acts or events or or tragic events, both as victims and suspects, getting a chance to see that when kids and youth are at crossroads, there are always opportunities and there are always indicators when they're going wayward. So it those experiences gave me a a toolkit and a an approach that I think was extremely unique because I was able to bring that into a school, not only as a school district police officer, but as the chief and build organizations that that address specific issues that kids were facing to try to deter them from uh, the downward spirals that they could potentially be led to. Wow, Jeff, you know, first of all, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I am just so moved by what you and your family have been able to do and the road that you've taken that brings us here today to this conversation because you are seeing that your sister did not die in vain, that she has spurred the family on to help others and help other families and save them from that fate. And it's it's just really, it's awe-inspiring to hear that you are doing and are driven by some events that happened in your life, and now you're able to help so many people. So I cannot wait to have this conversation. Um, this is is going to be pretty incredible because this is personal for you. I mean, you really, you know, the, the friends that I have and, and people that I know who have been in law enforcement, and many of them, it's in the blood, you know, generation yes. after generation, they sign up because they really want to make a difference. But for you, it clearly takes on such a, a deep-seated message that's close to the heart. So Let's start off with talking about the importance of building continuity of care between safety incidents occurring in communities and communicating them back to school leaders and breaking down that information. Can you can you start us off there? Absolutely. And again, with my background in schools, I saw where historically, when it comes to safety and security and, and, and incidents that occur inside of a school, they're typically handled in a silo and it doesn't spill over into the communities and other law enforcement uh, areas until there's a, either a critical incident or a student engages in conduct or act, uh, actions or acts outside of the school. And the the brick wall starts, unfortunately, it starts at that, historically, I've seen it start at that school, at the school grounds where uh, law enforcement in the community stay on their side and those that are working inside the school stay on their side until there is a need for crossover. Well, as the chief of police for the city of Hutto, coming out of Round Rock ISD Police Department and working within the schools, going directly into the chief of police position for the city of Hutto, I realized that I was seeing opportunities to further help our students further help our juveniles, our youth in our community um, to be that positive role model so that people can see us as superheroes and super sheroes and not the boogeyman. And so there were things that I was seeing where officers were going out on calls for service and they were involving juveniles or they go to a scene and you have a child that was uh, experiencing social, emotional, behavioral, mental health issues or even substance abuse issues. 
And the situation may have been addressed uh, at the scene and left at the hands of the parents, or there may be uh, a, a response where they are um, involuntarily committed into a uh, treatment facility. And a lot of that information wasn't trickling back to the schools. So you have a situation where law enforcement's involved at a home where a student is facing a critical incident or they're in crisis or they're in squalor or they're they're put in a situation where they're distressed or there's anxiety and no one at the schools know about that. And it's not like kids are going to go back to school and say, hey, these things happened at my home over the weekend. Can you help me? So what we did was I created what's called the Community Safe Project. And, and in that, there are several things that I know we'll get a chance to talk to. But one of those is I've made it a requirement for my police officers Anytime that they go to a scene and you have a student that has suicidal or homicidal ideation or there is uh, a student in crisis related to, to social, emotional, behavioral, mental or substance abuse issues, or there's just concern that they feel that this student needs some ongoing care, they're required to report that to whatever school that student attends so that the continuity of care can continue. That information goes to the superintendent. It goes to if they have law enforcement on the campus, it goes to them as well, and it goes to their head counselor so that we can make sure that they are getting the care that they need and there's no one falling through the gap and through the cracks. So let me ask you this question, getting that information to the appropriate places. When schools do have this information, what, what do they do when they receive it? It is very good. That's a very good question. It is very good to ask those kinds of questions because I think that's something that people need to know. If you don't know what has been done, you don't necessarily know what to do. And when you have a kid that has been in a home over the weekend, say that um, was uh, the place where the mom or the dad assaulted each other, you had a, a horrible family violence case um, over the weekend, you had a child or children seeing these things. They're trying to cope with those things internally and they're not going to go and tell their friends. They're not going to go and tell their, their uh, counselors or their teachers at schools, but they're, they're trying to cope with these things in a society uh, and in a body and in a mind that doesn't know how to even cope with life. They've never even experienced life, but they've experienced that. So what we're wanting to do and what schools typically do when they get that information, counseling services will respond and they will meet with the students to find out what go, what support or, or resources that are available that they can help them to cope through this. They'll find out what other siblings or, or youth also witness these things that can be experiencing the traumatic uh, effects of that. But they'll also make sure that they've got their social workers involved. And if there are outsource, uh, resources outside of the school that can provide them uh, ongoing support, they'll make sure that they get those things um, uh, worked uh, out to where they can get the services that they need. Also, they make sure that they provide they'll when they know about it, they can provide that wraparound services and ongoing support to the families as well. So can you recommend any strategy for reporting those types of incidents? Because obviously we're talking about very personal information and when it happens outside of school, getting it to school leaders, it can be very touchy and a lot of questions I feel can arise there. So what's your best method of how people should go about doing that? 
Well, in the state of Texas, we have in the Code of Criminal Procedures, Article 1527, which is which requires law enforcement, whether you're a state law enforcement agency, a county municipal, if you interact with a juvenile and you arrest that juvenile for whatever offense they may have been alleged to have committed, you're required by law to report that to the school that they attend. So if we can be required to report uh, information with a student who's been arrested, I think we still have that same obligation and responsibility to report when a student has been subjected to a uh, a situation that may be causing harm or trauma to this student and there are other resources in the school environment that can help them through those things. And, and in, in addition, if you've got a situation where a student has been in social, emotional, behavioral, uh, mental health crisis or dealing with a substance abuse issue, again, they're going they're going from home on the weekend or they're going from the community into the schools and the schools have the support services and the resources if they know about those things. So if we can report that a student has been arrested, we need to also be able to report that a student is in need of tremendous care and um, support from the school. Can you tell us more about the Community Safe program that you launched recently in Hutto, Texas? Yes. Here in Texas, we recently had a horrific school shooting at Robb Elementary in in Uvalde, Texas. It was a it was something that no community, no family, no state or country ever wants to hear about or experience. And the the ongoing pain and trauma, it spills throughout the entire state and throughout the entire country. And it's a pain that just never goes away. You. Some days maybe you may do good, but but other days you don't do so good. And when you hear about tragedies like that, we do find that you'll find school districts will will start recognizing areas where they can improve, whether it's on uh, interior or exterior building hardening, whether it's in training, whether it's in enhancing their standard response protocols. They will improve uh, in areas to make sure that the students feel safe and they can have a safe learning environment, but also that they can reassure the community and the students and the staff that that school district and the campuses are a safe place for their students. One of the things that I found when I started hearing a lot of the news reports about what action schools were taking, what we were taking as a state here in Texas to further improve school safety. I started hearing a lot of these things and I said, that's great. And it's, and it's definitely needed and necessary, but what are we doing when it comes to other places like our daycare centers? What are we doing when it comes to churches? What what are we doing when it comes to small businesses? And I found that we weren't doing anything. And I said, so in Huddle, we're going to start doing something. We're going to create the, the Community Safe Project. I worked with one of my lieutenants, uh, Lieutenant uh, Dwayne Jones, who is a visionary as well. And, and we created the Community Safe Project. And SAFE is an acronym for Strategic Actions for Everyone. We wanted to make sure that we went to our daycare centers, although the state requires them to do certain safety drills, we wanted to make sure not only they have safety drills that they were doing, but they had safety plans and plans of action that we were going and assessing their facilities to make sure that they had uh, 
increased areas that can be improved, um, like when it comes to exterior interior building hardening. We help them to develop their safety plans if you have a severe weather event, if you have an active shooter event, if there's a train derailment. We want to make sure that they have plans in place to where they can respond effectively so that law enforcement can respond and there's a seamless alignment of response so that we can improve overall safety. And so we've met with our community members and our partners who wanted to partner with us in these and we've developed we're developing those plans. We are also working with our churches to make sure that when you have those mass gatherings, that you have safety plans in place in the bit of a critical incident because we've had those here in Texas as well. So our goal is to I, I made the statement a few weeks ago at a presentation I was doing. I said our goal is to beat those that want to do harm, we want to beat them to the punch. And if they try to swing, we're going to punch them. Hmm. Wow. And with that, because, you know, this program, we hope and pray that we we don't have incidents like these. But unfortunately, you can attest to the fact that they are happening. And, you know, the best thing we can do is be prepared. Can you talk a little more deeply with regard to four pillars of really bringing this home and having that continuity between the community and school. Yes. So the four pillars of school safety and policing is something that I built when I was the chief of police of Round Rock ISD. I recognized that uh, when it came to safety and security, the fundamental safety and security pieces were placed into the internal hardening, external hardening of buildings, adding cameras, doing drills. And a lot of times you find that those drills are essentially check the box. Unfortunately, I've seen those. Um, and it all fits into a safety and security bucket, which is great. It's very important. But safety and security has to be holistic. It has to be so much more than just uh, the building security. It has to be so much more than making sure that you go out to drills. And I found that um, some schools were still doing some antiquated drill practices. For example, you would find um, school districts, I would do training around the state and country, and you would find school districts that were still using the antiquated practices of when they did lockdowns, they would slide the green card from underneath their door, letting people know that they were safe inside. The challenge with that, and it's been outdated, is because if you're secure inside your room and you've got an active shooter in your school, if you slide a green card from underneath your door, now they know that there's somebody in that room. And so our goal is to train people so that they understand that it has to be something that you we're building the confidence and the through building the competence. And so so I had increased it from the safety and security piece, which has a lot of components to it that are very important. Some are are training. Some includes the standard response protocols, making sure that you're you're doing your lockout, your lockdown evacuation shelter drills. It also includes building hardening. It includes uh, bringing your housekeepers and your, your maintenance workers into the, the training so that they're also training so that they know what they're supposed to be doing if there's a critical incident. Also, your bus drivers, if they were to pull up to a scene and there's an active shooter event, how are they being notified? And are they going to be dropping off kids not knowing that there's a critical incident? So we brought them into the training so that they understood what their roles and responsibilities were. And we knew where they would be staging off site if they were notified that there was a critical incident and it would remain there. And we knew where they would be until the incident was over. So the four pillars of school safety and security 
include safety and security, behavioral health, educational equity, and student advocacy. So the behavioral health piece is a solution that I created in Round Rock where I brought, when I created the department, we were the, I recognized that a, a lot of behaviors that students engage in, sometimes people may look at those and think that it's a criminal offense, but in reality, it may be the student in crisis. And a lot of crisis behavior can mimic criminality. And, and recognizing that although our law enforcement officers go through a great deal of mental health officer training and certifications, we're not the experts in it. It's like a lot of the um, 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 injury training that we go through and like the self-aid, buddy aid, the first aid training we go through. We learn those things, but we're not doctors. We're not EMS. We know how to stabilize until there is the subject matter expert on scene to handle those cases. So my point with that is that was the reason why we brought in um, I was the first school district in the country to hire social workers to work inside the school district police department. I brought in 15 social workers to work inside of our department to serve our students and the families to provide that ongoing support and the wraparound services. And we were able to recognize that historically students were being their actions and behave. They were their actions and behavior were being identified as criminal acts when they were actually in crisis. And a lot of things or their responses were uh, manifestations of their disability. And I say all the time that you can catch the wolf that's been killing your chickens and lock it up in a cage. That solves your problem, but it doesn't help the wolf. And my point of that is arresting kids does not solve the problem always. What you can have a kid that's, that's in substance, having a substance abuse issue and trying to cope with that. And they're trying to escape reality, trying to escape life because from their perspective, it is so bad. And you arrest them, they and because they are addicted to drugs, when you arrest them and they get out of jail, they're still addicted to drugs. Now the difference is they're going to try to find ways to be more covert about their use. And so that's not helping them. So hiring social workers to come in, we were able to get students the diversionary um assistance and treatment and resources that they need to keep them from, number one, going down that downward spiral, but also reckon, having them recognize that people truly do care. There are opportunities for them to improve and get the help that they need and to continue down the path of positive progress towards a wholesome and healthy life. The educational equity piece is something that we looked at because you have a lot of kids who are who are struggling who may be doing really really well in some areas but are struggling in other areas we we recognize that you can't treat every student the same because no one's the same but you can meet the needs of every student we hired a guy and we asked him during the interview what is the difference between equality and equity he stopped for a second and he said Equality is giving every student a pair of shoes. Equity is giving every student a pair of shoes that fits. So we recognize that you have to meet every student at their need. Some need more. That doesn't mean you take away from others, but it just means that, that you have resources that if this kid needs more attention, this kid needs more support, give that to them. And because those that are doing very well need support in other places. So you're going to have to meet them at their need. So that's what we're looking at when we talk about the educational equity, making sure that every student has an opportunity to succeed by having the needs that can be met met.
And the student advocacy piece is, a, is the fourth piece that we created, which helped us to identify diversionary solutions so that students aren't being arrested for juvenile, adolescent, irresponsible, and reckless behavior. We worked with the courts, the municipal county, JP courts, the district courts, so that there were diversionary solutions for those that were, um, that, that the opportunities existed so that when you can advocate for students and to try to get them on a path um, to where they not they don't have the long term implications of something they did when they were 16 and 17, they can have um, solutions, accountability, but solutions to allow them to have long and prosperous lives. I was working on a case study um, in school. And and one of the guys that we talked to, his name was Nathaniel. And Nathaniel talked about how when he was in um, school, high school, he got arrested several times for fighting and for drugs. He said, I was 16, I got arrested for weed. He said, I was 17, I got arrested for weed. And he said, it was no conviction. He said, he graduated and he said, man, I, I finally grew up and I went back and got my associate's degree and I had a kid. He said, man, I'm going to make something out of my life for my kid and make my family proud. He when he got his associate's degree, he applied for a certain job that he wanted and he didn't get it. He applied again for for the same job at a different place, didn't get it. Finally, he found out from one of the guys that interviewed him, the reason he didn't get the job was he got arrested. And, and Nathaniel said, he said, yeah, but I wasn't convicted. And the guy responded, yeah, you got arrested, but you got arrested. And he said something to me and I, I and I, in throughout life, I look for what I call God moments. And he said something to me that was a God moment. He said, I wonder what I could have become had someone intervened. And I said, wow, we have the opportunity of a lifetime as officers working in schools, officers working on the street to intervene in such a way to where we don't allow a kid to pay for the rest of their life for something that they did when they were a kid. So that's the student advocacy piece. And so when you take all of those together, you've got a holistic approach to school safety that I believe takes us from the modern policing style to what I call postmodern policing. And that is so powerful, first and foremost. But, you know, with that, we're clearly aware of the initial targets um, and the initial potential for things that are very bad to happen, as you can attest to in Uvalde. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is the work that you're able to do through this program and associated connections with it. It's not just for that time in school. I mean, you're literally, as you said, you're impacting the lives of these kids that will potentially go on to maybe continue to be criminals or not. And it affects the community in such a big way. So let's talk about that. How does this training with the Community Safe Program and, and the pillars and everything that you just talked about and, and the good that can come from that, how is it impacting the student parent community, uh, a sense of safety among school officials? the blanket overall community picture, what kind of impact is a program like this having? I'll tell you, when you take the four pillars of school safety and policing and you take the community safe project, they bridge the gap that historically existed when it came to policing. Some people looked at school policing, they looked at school environments as uh, that's just, you know, those are just kid cops and they don't really know a lot. You, you'd hear those things. But now you're starting to realize that you've got kids in schools 
who are growing up. And they're becoming, those kids in schools are becoming your adults in your city. So when you don't understand who they are and what they've gone through, your response is not going to be a response that's going to be beneficial to those, those young adults as they grow up. So what this is doing is it's causing the information sharing to occur in such a way to where the level of understanding is increasing so that law enforcement on the streets are understanding what they're dealing with in the schools because they're seeing it manifested in adults on their streets. Um, there's something called conceptual change. And I'm writing a textbook on the four pillars of school safety and policing, and it'll be uh, published um in September of next year. But in that book, I'm, I'm, I'm writing about something called conceptual change, how people, based upon their experiences, they develop concepts and ideas about certain things, about certain actions. And some of those things can be ingrained if they continue to see those actions. And some of those things can be changed if you if the information that they're getting, the new information changes the misconceptions that they've had. So when you think about what's going on in the interpretation of things in, in, in students and how you, the level of understanding causes your response and your approach to be different. You start to see that the parents are saying, you're now listening. You're now seeing that what we're saying is that my kid is not a bad kid. They're doing bad things because they can't help themselves and they need help. And so you're starting to see now law enforcement officers that are going to calls for service where people are in crisis. The, the, their, their level of understanding now is going up so much to where they're realizing that the old adage of I'm going to ask you, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make you is passe. It doesn't help people. You want to understand, you want to find out the underlying issues, find out the why. If some, someone's doing something that we feel is unusual or strange, what is that underlying issue that is causing that? That's what some of the parents are wanting. My kid is doing this because they can't help themselves and they're and, and, and they need the help and they haven't received the services that they need and they, they need it. And so you're seeing the school districts competence and confidence level raise and you're seeing the officers on the streets confidence and competence levels raise. And you're now the sharing of information is increasing so that you don't have the, the 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 situation that we found when we do the after actions and we start to study things like with 9-11, there were many agencies that had information about what was going on, but the information wasn't shared. And because the information wasn't shared, gaps were created to where horrific tragedies could occur. We're making sure that we're closing those gaps because there, again, there is a there's a pipeline not a school to prison pipeline, but there's a, a school to community pipeline where kids are coming out of school in the communities. And we have got to make sure that we have a level of understanding of what they've experienced and what experiences they're bringing out in society so that if there are resources that exist from the municipal level, we're providing those. We're sharing that information with the schools and, they're, and vice versa. They're sharing that information with us because at the end of the day, we want to make sure that, that continuity of care exists so that our Children, our, our staff, our teachers, our community members know that we are fundamentally peace officers. And when people are dealing with torment and tragedy and hor horrific experiences, there is no peace inside them and there's no peace around them. Our goal is to make sure that we understand what resources we can bring to bring about that peace 
in those individuals and in their homes and in our communities. Some great points. And as you mentioned, uh, I mean, not your exact words, but with regard to kind of the old school way to look at things, no pun intended, Mm -hmm. just don't do that. We're going to arrest you if you do, where you're really looking into, as you said, building that trust and learning more about that person, what's causing them to act out, what's causing them to do those things. And it's it's so important. So let me ask you this. If you had a wish list, if there were one or two things that you could hope that school leaders would take on to help ensure there was safety in the school systems and the community as well, what would they be? I would tell you one would be making sure that we are sharing the information and with between law enforcement agencies so that what we're doing in Hutto, we're sharing that information with schools so that they are aware of what's going on. I would also want to, if I had a wish list, I would wish that every state would utilize a standard solution when it came to assessing threats. And when you've got issues that are occurring in schools where a kid may be in crisis, that information is assessed, analyzed, from even the time when they're three, four, five, and it's and that information is uh, analyzed and assessed in such a way to where the proper resources and uh, solutions can be put in place to help those kids overcome those issues and their actions and behavior don't fall through the gaps and go unnoticed and undetected. So like threat assessment solutions are invaluable in schools. I've seen it in action. I've seen it work. I've seen the outcomes and the benefits of making sure that you, when you've got kids, those that information is following them so that they can continue to get the care from first grade through fifth grade, through ninth grade, through graduation, so that they're, um, they understand that that school, when they're out in, in at home, and they may not be getting the support and services that they need. When they get to school, that track record and that that support has been laid and been affirmed in such a way that they know that if I have problems, now I can go to my social worker. I can go to my um, counselor. And those social workers and counter, uh, counselors know how to make sure that that information is being, uh, the cases, the case management is being done effectively and the solutions that can help these students are being implemented with fidelity. So those would be two of the biggest things if I had a wish list that I would make sure that information sharing and that uh, the assessment of these the students is ongoing and it follows them even if they leave uh, a certain school or a certain uh, grade level, that that information continues to follow them. And a lot of information that we covered today. Chief, any final thoughts as we're wrapping up here today? I I do want to say that there are many opportunities and and solutions that exist to to improve school safety. But I have to say that a lot of the work that you're seeing in our society and you hear about what can be done, a lot of what you're hearing is already being done by Raptor Technologies and, and the work that they're doing is setting the standard in school safety. Um, I talked about the threat assessment solutions and that that directly aligns with uh, the student safe solution that Raptor provides. Long gone are the days where, where you just heard about the visitor management because as the needs e- evolved, 
uh, Raptor has done that. They've evolved in such a way to where they're recognizing and, and providing the solutions that school districts are needing. And that's something that I'm seeing out in our community. Um, municipal policing and county policing. In fact, the sheriff of Williamson County, where um, Hutto is and where Round Rock ISD is, he and I are collaborating to work to push the Community Safe Project out to all of our cities in our county and making our county the first county in the country that has implemented this throughout. But again, that alignment with what we're doing in our cities also aligns with what we're doing in schools, which also aligns with the solutions that Raptor, Raptor Technologies has provided and will continue to provide that makes them the standard when it comes to new school safety. And information is power. And we talked about a lot of the reasons why there needs to be that continuity between law enforcement, between the communities, between the schools. And kudos to you. Um, amazing work that you are doing. And I know that it, it's not something that happened overnight. It's been a lot of years that you and your family and your, your teammates um, that you're working with in law enforcement and school systems have been working on this. Um, Chief Jeff Yarbrough, I, I can't say enough of just how in awe I am of, of what you've accomplished and then hearing more of your personal story in the beginning. Uh, just it's amazing to see how you are helping so many people. And I appreciate your dedication. I know so many people out there do as well. Chief Yarbrough is the police chief for Hutto, Texas. And as you heard, he has a wealth of experience, 27 years in law enforcement. You also are the creator of the Behavioral Health Services Department in the Round Rock ISD Police Department. And that included, which you talked about, uh, putting social workers in the system to to help identify with some of these, these early signs that we can see, not only to protect the schools in that time of whatever years that particular student is in school, but also beyond and having them be better community members and making it safer for all of us. So I can't thank you enough for your time, Chief. And I I appreciate everything that you have done. And as I said, I know a lot of other people do and continue to uh, do that hard work because I know it's paying off there. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate Raptor Technologies as well for allowing me to have this platform to share with as many people who are willing to listen the great opportunities that we have to close those gaps and to highlight the great things that Raptor Technologies is doing. And thank you again, Chief Yarbrough. It has been such a pleasure to not only get to meet you, but hear what you had to say with regard to these programs. And not to embarrass you, but I will, because you have some pretty major distinctions that I want to let our viewers know before we go here. Not only did you create the behavioral health care program that we talked about with placing social workers in the mix to help things out. But when we talk about um, the four pillars of school safety and policing program, as well as the community safe program, the 2022 State of Texas Law Enforcement Achievement Award for Professional Achievement at the State Capitol House of Representatives was bestowed on you for the four pillars of school safety and policing program. And you recently learned being a master's graduate from Texas A&M University, you have been given what is their highest distinction for an award in this capacity for outstanding alumni. You are given this for your impact with the Four Pillars program. And this is 
the first time that it's been given to a law enforcement official. And not only that, it's an early career award, which typically it's 10 or more years that they wait to see what the student is going to do. You're such an underachiever, Chief, that you you have made such an impact in the community and beyond with this program that they wanted to honor you with this award. And you just recently learned that. So congratulations to you and thank you for your service. And I know everybody who is watching this, I'm sure feels the same way. Just job well done. And we need more Chief Yarbrough's in our, in our midst and uh, really appreciate what you're doing. So thank you again. Thank you. I really appreciate you. Such a pleasure to have Chief Yarbrough with us today. And I want to thank you, our audience, for tuning in and listening today to the School Safety Today podcast powered by Raptor Technologies. And if you would like to learn more about Raptor, you can visit the website where you can hear more about the podcast episodes and learn more about what Raptor does and some great things that they are doing with the help of great people like Chief Yarbrough. So thank you again. I'm your host, Michelle Don Mooney, and we hope to see you soon.